Welcome to the Leadership Matters Podcast, where we talk matters of leadership because leadership really does matter. Here's your host, Jeremy Albrecht. Welcome leaders to a special edition episode here on the Leadership Matters Podcast. Each November, we hold our annual leadership conference. It's called Initiate, and it's for church leaders. And this past year, 2021, our theme that we chose for Initiate Leadership Conference was Reset. As I've been feeling for quite some time that this pandemic, this COVID-19 thing, has brought about just this incredible opportunity for a reset. For us to hit the reset button and kind of figure out what, moving forward, what do we really need to be about as church leaders and, and in the church. And so, having said that, our conference always has a few general sessions where we hear from a keynote speaker. And this past year, we had two general sessions. It was just a one-day event. And so this message you're about to hear is one that I personally gave in the first general session. And I entitled it, Something Must Die. And I'm excited to give you the opportunity, whether you were at Initiate or not, to give you the opportunity to listen in to this message from Initiate 2021. Okay, so we're going to Deuteronomy. We're going old school today, Old Testament, OT. Deuteronomy chapter 34. It's going to be on the screen, but it might be a little difficult to read. I know the font size is a little small, so... Uh, you might want to follow along, and you might want to uh, you might want to mark up your Bible, maybe. I don't know if you've got the, the paper version. Deuteronomy chapter 34. You guys good? Everyone all right? Everyone got what you need? Good. Wow, it's so hard to tell with these masks. You basically have to do everything with your eyes, and some of your eyes are so tired. Some, some of you need to tell your eyes that you're excited to be here, Okay. That would really just help me out a lot. Deuteronomy 34, starting at verse 1. Let's read the first eight verses and see what God has for us today out of this. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea. Then Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zor. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it to your descendants, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. Moses was 120 years old. You need to get this, when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these leaders in front of me, before me today. And I just pray, God, that uh, again, that we would just make room for your words today that would be life-giving to us. Your word says that your word never returns void. And so, God, I'm knowing and believing that your word is going to go out and produce a harvest today, not because I'm saying it, but because it's your word. And so, God, hide me behind your word today. Father, I pray against distraction. God, that we would be fully here, fully present, aware of, of what you're saying, aware of what you're speaking to us. As indiv- You have something different for every single one of us. That's how big you are. 
So God, may we get what we need. We may not even know what we need today, but you do. And so may we receive what we need today. God, I pray you'd bless my pastor, wherever he is, whatever he's doing. Just, God, I'd just honor him and his leadership. Would you breathe fresh vision and life and encouragement to him? God, I, I pray blessing over this house, over the leadership of this house, the pastors and the pastoral staff and the board. God, we thank you for Woodville and them allowing us to be here and meet here today. We just honor this house. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever had to kill something? Anyone had to kill something before? Just wave at me. You've had to kill something. I'm not talking about like a spider, okay? Like I'm talking about something significant, you know, maybe like a centipede or... No, I, I'm like something, something decently sized, something big like... I remember back in the day, I used to work at Lakeshore Pentecostal Camp, and I was, I was the ground supervisor there. But before I had fully taken over from my boss, while I was being apprenticed by him and learning the job and the role, I remember one spring, we had walked into one of the trailers, Trailer 80. If you've ever been to Lakeshore, you know Trailer 80, kind of down at the east end of the camp, right by the tracks. We had walked into that trailer, and we were going to do some renovations. We were going to make some things new. And uh, so we needed a bit of a reset, you know, kind of we were going to flatten some things, maybe take out some walls, destroy some things so that we could give it a fresh facelift, make some things new. And I remember walking into one of the rooms and we opened the closet door and I kid you not, in this closet, huddled up in the corner, was like six baby raccoons. No joke. Six beautiful, cute, little, cuddly, little baby raccoons. I mean, I just wanted to reach out and grab it and massage it. It's my pet. You're naughty. You're my pet. No, these things were vicious, demonic even. I remember reaching in and my boss pulling my hand back right away as one of them started to hiss and show its teeth. And he says, don't. I'm like, whoa, this this man is serious. He's for real. I remember pulling my hand back and saying, no, Jared, they're, they're, they're vicious. You get them cornered. A raccoon cornered is a, is a very vicious, demonic animal. It will, it will rip you apart. And I was like, okay, whatever, Dave. Like these, these, these things are babies. They're so cute. And so I remember I turned around and my boss had already started making this, this sort of noose, this, this device that he could pick them up by the neck and we could take them outside and release them. And so he, out of a coat hanger, he makes this like loopy thing and he puts it around the neck. He reaches in so his hand is not in there close to them and they're hissing and, and I'm starting to believe what he's saying now. I'm like, okay, this man is for real. Like he's, he's not joking. And, uh, and they're just getting really vicious. He reaches in, he grabs one and we walk outside and I'm following him just wondering, how's this going to go down? Like this thing is mad. And so we get outside the trailer, he goes down the steps, and he's standing there, and there's a bit of a ravine, a swampy area just before the tracks, and so he's like letting it go into that area, be free, like we're not looking to harm this thing, we're just looking to let it go, be gone. Because he's like, we have to do this, we have to get them out of here, or they'll think this is their home, and every renovation, everything that we make new, they're going to destroy. They're going to come in, and they're going to poop and pee and do all the things that raccoons do. Anyways, we, he gets out there, he lets the thing down to the ground, and he, like, go, be free, and he begins to step back and, like, about to walk away, and this thing, instead of going free towards the tracks, turns around and comes at my boss. So without flinching, 
He just the adrenaline, cortisol shot. I don't know what happened, but he's got these steel toe work boots on and he walks up to that thing and hoofs it like he's going for a field goal. And this baby raccoon goes all fours up in the air like this. I see its cute little fur and it's just looking at us like it's flying through the air and lands back in this swamp. You know, and my, my eyes are like popping out of my head and my boss kind of turns around. He gives me a little bit of a smirk, this, this grin on his face. I can still see it. And he's about to walk back in the trailers. And I said, uh, Dave, um, turn around. Kid you not, I'm not making this stuff up. It was like apocalypse. The zombies begin to come out of the swamp. This wet raccoon, baby raccoon, comes walking out of the swamp towards my boss for round two. He ain't done. And my boss doesn't even stop. He doesn't like laugh or say, oh, that's cute. He grabs a shovel leaning up against the side of the trailer and, and he goes over to the raccoon, and this was pre-PETA, you know, anything like that. So uh, just, this is my boss. He's now deceased. He's with Jesus. I know that. He's with Jesus, okay? So, so this wasn't me. So just calm down, all you animal lovers. He goes back to the swamp, and he begins to, to drown this thing in the swamp with the shovel and hold it. I heard the awfulest demonic sounds I've ever heard in my entire life. I still, sometimes I'm awakened in the night, and I still hear these screeches and these sounds of this raccoon being put to death. And I'm like, what is my boss doing? And I can't, I'm frozen. I'm stunned. I, I don't know what came over him. And he comes out of that swamp. It took a while, too. I'll tell you, raccoons are hard to kill. No joke. They're one of the hardest animals to kill. I'm not, I'm not messing with you. And he, he finally kills this thing. And I, finally, the screeches and the hissing and everything and the gurgling and all that stuff stopped. And he comes walking out of the swamp, and he's like, he's got the shovel kind of over his shoulder. and like a, He's like a man's man. Like, yeah, I just killed something. And he, and he says, just nonchalant, he's like, Okay, let's go get the next one. I want to I talk to you this morning at this leadership conference from the title, Something Must Die. Something Must Die. We are living in one of the most significant times, whether in our lifetime anyways, whether you realize this or not. Like, think about it. The fact that God would look at this pandemic, he would look at the challenges of this season, the circumstances and he would look at you, he would look at me, and he would think, wow, there's some great candidates to lead through this. Like, that's pretty overwhelming to me. I don't know what that does for you, but the fact that God would look at all our world would be facing, and he would look at your life and my life, and he'd say, there's some perfect people to lead through this. Despite the challenges, despite the uncertainties, despite all the flexibility, we've had to pivot and do this and shift and realign and I know some of you are sitting here going, yeah, but pastor, I'm tired. Like, I'm not looking to lead through. I'm, I'm so exhausted. I'm so done. I'm done with social distancing. I'm done with tape on pews. I'm done with masks. I'm done with not being able to gather. And this week we can. And next week we can. I'm done with all of the rapid change. Like, I'm so tired. And I get it. Listen, I hear you because I don't know any leader that has not experienced some form, some version of exhaustion over the past 18, 19 months. So I, I hear you. But I can't help but wonder. I can't help but wonder if this is, is a setup. I, I can't help but wonder if God could be aligning things, if God could be wanting to use this as an incredible opportunity for us in the church, as church leaders, in our lives as leaders, to hit the reset button. 
to unbend the paperclip, so to speak, and get the device, the modem, whatever it is, the electronic out and, and click that tiny little thing that's hardly accessible and hit the reset. I, I can't help but wonder if, if this could be God trying to get us into our preferred future, like if we're on the edge of something significant. And we've got two options. We can cross over into what's new, what's next, or we can sit here and wait to, for things to return to normal. As I've heard so many people say, I just want things to go back to normal. Longing for a return. What if we began to long for a reset? What if we began to long for, for, for God's resurrecting power in this situation, in this season of our lives? For him to overshadow everything that you're longing to return to. And God's saying, wow, I've got something so awesome on the other side of this. And here's what I've learned. I, I want to give you, I'm going to give you the bottom line right now if you miss everything else. I, I really want you to get this. Anytime we're about to cross over into something new, what's next? Something always has to die. And here's what I've learned in my life. Sometimes the very things that need to die might even still have a little bit of life left in them. They might not even be dead, so to speak. If you're going to cross over into what's new and, and where God wants to take you, something needs to die. Something needs to go. Something needs to be let go of. Anytime you're about to step into new territory, a new dimension, a new space, something's got to go. That's exactly what was happening in Deuteronomy 34. You've got Moses who has been leading his people, God's chosen people. This is the dude that led them up out of Egypt. Think about it. It's the only leader these guys have known. Since being slaves and being rescued by this man named Moses. And he goes to bat for them with Pharaoh. We all know, ooh, ooh Pharaoh, let my people go. No. Nah, I'm dating myself. None of you know that song, except for the people at the back. And he, he gets the people released, and they've been, they've been in transition ever since, heading towards there, what's next? And Moses has been the dude that's leading them to what's next, to the promised land. And so they get to the edge. They get to the edge of the Jordan River there, and Moses goes up on this mountain, and God had said earlier back in chapter 32 that this would happen. And he gets up on the top of this mountain and he allows Moses to see what God's been talking about. Hey, this is what I promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, your forefathers. This is what I promised to them. You see it? There's the promised land. We just read about him seeing it. The Negev, Naphtali, Palms, Zor. It's all there. This is what I've been promising. This is where you've been leading the people all these years. But he says, you're not going in. What? Yeah, he says, you're not going in. Actually, you're, and, and God takes him out right then and there at 120 years old. Now, the reason God took him out, the reason he couldn't go in is a long story, and I won't go into it, but it was an earlier act of disobedience with the people of Israel when Moses struck the rock and brought water out of it. And so God, and here's the truth before we move on. You need, there's a principle there just in that alone I want you to get. That disobedience will always distance you from the plans, the purposes, and promises of God. 
Your disobedient, your disobedient acts will always distance you from the promises of God. And that's exactly what happened in Moses' life. It distanced him. He was able to see it from a distance, but he wasn't able to inhabit it, to occupy it, to live in it. And so God takes him out at 120 years old. And this is what the Bible says. It doesn't just stop and say he died at 120 years old. This is what I love. And this is what really encouraged me and got me to look at this story and go deeper from it. Because I'm like, why would the Bible even say that his eyes weren't weak and his strength hadn't gone yet? Why would the Bible list that? That just caught me. It struck me. So I did a little deeper searching. And here's the truth for us today from that. The fact is, sometimes the things that need to die in our life might still have vision to it. It might still have strength in it, but it needs to go so you can step into your preferred future, the preferred future that God has for you, your destiny. So what does this mean for us? Well, I believe today, 2021, here at this leadership conference, I believe the church, I believe church leaders, I believe it's like we're standing at the edge of what's new, what's next. We're standing at the edge of this Jordan River here today, about to step into it. We can. We have the ability. God wants us to, but you have the choice. And I've just come to learn, and through this passage That if we're about to step in and cross over into what's next, then something's got to die. Now, it may not be a physical, actual person like Moses. But Moses represents some things that we often hold on to that hold us back. Moses represents three aspects of our lives where we often hold things. In our hands, in our heart, and sometimes up here in our head. And so I want to look at those three areas this morning. So what's in your hands today? What's in your hands that's holding you back from stepping in to all God has for you in the future? What are you holding on to? For the Israelites, it was their possessions. They were holding their stuff. Their literal stuff had been on their backs, had been on camels and donkeys, and they'd been traveling, and they had been this transient people for the last number of years. They spent some years wandering in the desert. We know that. But everything they owned, all their possessions was on them. They were holding them. And they'd set up camp and they'd get up in the morning and not knowing, are we leaving today or are we staying for another 30 days? We have no idea. But everything they own is with them. How many know it's really hard to settle in somewhere when you're constantly moving? Constantly transitioning and being uprooted, kind of like the season we've been in. Israel had found it hard to do that, but they were going to have to let go of some of the things they needed to travel. They now needed to inhabit that. They needed to settle into God's promises now. And so they're going to have to let go of some of the things they're not going to need anymore for the promised land. What do you need to let go of this morning? You're not going to need to step into God's promises. What are you holding on to? Maybe it's something in your hands. Maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's money. Maybe it's finances. Maybe you, you, are, you are so wired to work and driven and ambitious to just acquire and achieve and gain all this stuff and these possessions because you think it will bring you happiness. 
And you've been holding on to that. And I, I'm here to tell you, to remind you today that, that true fulfillment, true happiness, true joy is not brought about by stuff, by owning things. It's brought about by living in your God-designed purpose. True fulfillment, true happiness is found in the purposes of God when you live in the purposes of God for your life. What are you holding on to? Maybe it's an actual thing like, I don't know, say a phone, a device. Not to pick on devices. They're great. They're awesome. I love it. I have one. I use it. I'm not against technology. I'm not against having a smartphone. Not against social media. I'm against when these things begin to own us and they become idols. We can't live without them, and we don't live any moment of our day without them. They are on us 24-7. Some of you, it's the first thing you go to when you wake up. It's the last thing you go to before you go to sleep. You can't go for too many hours without checking, without scrolling. And some of you, by the way, side note, you're just medicating. Your scrolling is just medicating. It's just numbing the pain. You're just distracting yourself from actually dealing with and processing the pain you're going through. And so you scroll. It's medication. And we are addicted. And, and listen, adults, I'm not just talking to the students here today. I'm talking to us. We are every bit as addicted to our devices. So no point in the finger in this room today. We're all in that. When do you go dark? When do you turn it off? Listen, I've said this numerous times. You've probably heard me say it before. If you're always fully accessible to man, you'll never be fully accessible to God. When do you turn the thing off so you can be in some silence and solitude? Listen, some of you can't even handle silence. Your life is so noisy. You're holding on to that noise because it brings you comfort. Because if it's quiet, let's be honest, you actually have to begin to process some of the things you're thinking. And, some of the thi and you don't want to do that, so you just continually turn up the noise and the volume in your life to distract yourself and numb the pain. What are you holding on to? Maybe it's the, maybe it's the plan You've had this plan. Israel had this plan, this roadmap to the promised land. They had been holding on to it dearly. They're not going to need it anymore. They're about to step into where they're going to reside. They don't need the plan anymore. They don't need the map anymore. They're there. They just need to be ready to, to inhabit the space. Some of you need to let go of your plan. You've been holding on a little bit too light, and if you're to be honest, it's your plan, not necessarily God's plan. I remember when that happened for me in my own personal life. I remember when I gave up the roadmap to God. And it wasn't so much about my plan and what I wanted to do. My plan was all about what I didn't want to do, what I refused to do. And for me, that was this. It was speaking. It was being a pastor. And I had said, God, I'll do this. I'll go into full-time ministry. I'll do anything you want, but just don't make me speak. Don't make me be a pastor. That literally terrified me to do what I'm doing now. And that's God's grace. That's God's sense of humor. In my, I just love that about God. But I remember where I was when I surrendered that. And I said, okay, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. And I opened up my hand. The very thing I had been holding on to so tightly, I gave back over to God. I said, you can have the map. You can have the plan. What do you want? 
What are you holding in your hands today that's holding you back from all God has for you? What about your heart? What are you holding in your heart today? Israel had this incredible, tight-knit, deep relationship with their leader, Moses. They held Moses near and dear to their hearts. I mean, he was their access point to God. He was the guy that heard in the burning bush. He was the guy that went on the mountaintop a couple times to get the commandments from God. He was their direct access point to God. And so these people had held this relationship in their hearts. Now imagine, instantly that's taken from them. It's gone. Moses is gone. He's dead. But it had to be that way so they could step into what's next. And they had to release themselves from this relationship. They had to let go of it so they could latch into a new leader. So they could latch into Joshua and his leadership. What are you holding in your heart this morning? Maybe it's a relationship for you that needs to go, that's holding you back from all God has for you. Maybe it's not a healthy one. That's why it's holding you back. Listen to me, all the singles in the room, students, young adults, if you don't know or have some sense, I'm not saying you have it all figured out or you know exactly where you're going, what you're going to do, but if you don't have some sense of where God's calling you, where he's taking you in life, Can I just encourage you, just maybe think about not being in a relationship until you get that sorted out a little bit more? Because here's what I see happen all the time for students and young adults. They wrap themselves up in these relationships before they know God's plans and purposes for their life, what they're called to, and they end up sabotaging their own plan because they latch into somebody else's because they don't know the plan for their life. I'm just saying... I'm not saying all the time, I'm not saying every relationship is unhealthy, but the majority of the time, from what I've seen and observed, that is what happens when you don't have an idea of where you're going. So why not figure out where you're going, get a bit of a sense of the direction that God has for you, the plans he has for you, the purposes he has for you, and just maybe be friends with people, but not be in relationships with people and give yourself away and aspects of yourself away so that once you figure out the road you're on and where you're going, then you look alongside you and you go, wow, you're going that way too? Man, that's a great option. I kind of like you. Oh, sweet. I like you too. And we're going in the same direction rather than this, right? And we kind of intersect during high school, maybe during first, second year of college, whatever. And it's like, I don't even know where I'm going yet. And we're going in two totally different directions, but That was fun while it lasted, but it ain't no fun no more. The party's over. Kenny Marks. Google it. Great song. What's in your heart today that's robbing you, that's stealing from you and where you're headed? Maybe it's your identity thing. Maybe it's something that happened to you in your past and it's been hurtful and painful. I'm sorry that you've gone through that. What often can happen when we go through painful situations, abuse or or something tragic happened to you in your life, what happens is initially maybe we think it was a mistake, but over time the enemy takes that guilt and he turns it into shame. And you go from thinking it was a mistake to now believing you are a mistake. Going from I messed up to I am a mess up. 
And you begin to label yourself, and the enemy loves it because he's come to rob, kill, and destroy, and he'll do it through shame. Listen, guilt can be convicting. Guilt can be positive. It can be a good thing, but shame will kill you. If you don't deal with it, if you don't kill it, if you don't allow God to kill it and bring new life and tell you who you are, shame will take you out. Some of you need to kill Hand that shame over to God this morning so you could be free. You could be completely free. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's a hurt, a wound, and you've become bitter because of what you've walked through and you've been expressing that and you have this hate towards that person who hurt you, resentment towards that person. And I just want to remind you that All of that stuff, you think it's actually giving you some sense of control? I was reading a book a while ago called Effortless by Greg McEwen, and he talks about this. He puts a little different spin on hate and grudges and unforgiveness, and he says, imagine this. Imagine yourself hiring that grudge, that unforgiveness. Ask yourself this. What have you hired it to do? I was like, oh, that's interesting. Interesting way of looking at it. He said, here's the thing. Oftentimes we hire unforgiveness because it gives us some sort of sense of control over the situation. We think it does anyways. It puts control back over to us. But it performs really, really poorly. You've heard the analogy, I'm sure, of of unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to to be poisoned, to be affected by it, the person that hurt you, when the only person it's hurting is you. What are you holding in your heart today, leaders, that's holding you back from all God has for you? It's time to let it go. It's time to kill it today so you can step into what's new, what's next. And finally, what's in your head? Hmm. Battlefield of the mind. For Israel, it was a mindset. There was a few different mindsets they had to get over. They had to kill. They had to crush. The first one was the mindset that it was a new day and time for a new leader. Somebody else was in charge now. It wasn't Moses anymore. There's a new leader in town. His name's Joshua. They had to let go of the mindset that a new leader is here, and he may be different. He's not necessarily going to lead the same way that Moses did. That's okay. It's not bad. It's just different. They had to let go of this this slave mentality, another mindset that kept creeping into their lives. This once a slave, always a slave mentality and acting like a slave because they had been slaves for so long back in Egypt and that had been passed down through generations, that slavery mindset. Another mindset that needed to go was fear, fear of the unknown. What's on the other side of this Jordan? Promised land, we've never been there. What's it going to be like? What's it going to be like not to travel? It's as difficult as traveling has been, it's still more familiar. And let's face it, the familiar is much more comfortable than the unknown. And so many times the reason we're longing for a return to normal is because it's familiar. We don't know what's on the other side of this pandemic. What mindset do you need to let go of? Some of you, maybe it's the mindset of just fitting in. You see this in in students all the time. They just have this mindset, I just want to fit in. I just want to be a part of the... 
And you, you strive over your entire lifetime to do everything and anything just not to stand out, just not to draw any attention, unnecessary attention to yourself. And so what happens is we try and look like, walk like, talk like, act like the rest of the world around us because we don't want to stand out. Can I remind you today you're called to stand out? Can I remind you today you're called to do life different? You're wired for it? Jesus didn't come and die on a cross and be resurrected so that we could just carry on and live ordinary lives. He's called us beyond that to the extraordinary, to live differently. And listen, radical and different isn't even that radical anymore to live different. If you just were a little more generous in your life and you decreased your screen time by 10%, like, man, think of the radical difference that would change in your life. It's not even that hard anymore to do life different. You're not called to, to fit in. You're called to do life different. I tell my kids all the time, hey, you're different. Just say it in random times and try to be intentional with that to remind them you're not called to fit in. You're not called to act like, and I'll just say or send them a, a text throughout the day, hey, you're different, and that's a good thing. You're different, and I like that. You're different. You're different. You're different, leader. Called to do life different. What's in your head? What's in your mindset? I want to talk to the main leaders, the pastors here in this room for a second. What are you holding in your head? What are you holding in your mindset? What's in there that's robbing you, that's keeping you back? Some of you have this mindset of what success is. And if the numbers are good that week at your midweek ministry or Sundays or whatever, whenever you meet, whenever you gather, if the numbers are there and it's a good-sized crowd, then, man, it's a good week. And you leave there feeling good about yourself and about your leadership. That needs to die. Man, good preaching. And if we lead like CEOs, I mean, that's success, right? We need a reset. Here's an incredible opportunity for a reset to get back to what we're actually called to do, which is make disciples. Can I remind you today that Jesus didn't say, go and build beautiful programs. Can I remind you today, he didn't even say go and build the church. He actually said he'd do that. All he told us to do was go and make disciples. Let him build the church. Some of you are so building your ministry, you're so busy building your ministry, you forgot that it's about making disciples. This is why we celebrate, we idolize all the people who know how to draw a crowd. They get all the attention. We've got this whole celebrity Christian thing, whatever that is. It's just insane. Who are the names? Who are the people who are making disciples? Who make disciples? Who make other disciples? Where are those names? Who of your contacts, who outside of your contacts in this world, in our culture today, do you know who's making disciples by the droves? And has this multiplication effort going forth just like Jesus did. You want to know why we don't do that? We want to put people in a classroom and call it discipleship. Why? Because it's clean. Discipleship's messy. 
You ever been a part of making a disciple? I'll just, I'll let you in on a little secret. It's messy. Because you got to let people into your life. And that's messy. That's not clean. You can't shut the lights out on the, on the room where you're meeting together in the classroom and go home and brush your hands and go, okay, we had discipleship tonight. That's not discipleship. I'm not saying that's not needed. I'm not saying that's not an aspect of it. we got to get back to doing it Jesus' way. This is an opportunity to reset, to go back to doing it the way Jesus did it. What did he do? He took people on an experience, and he educated them along the way. What do we do? We put people in a class, we educate them, and then we expect them to experience it all on their own. We call it discipleship. Jesus took people on an experience. He said, hey, come follow me. And while we're doing it, I want to show you some stuff. I'm going to teach you some things along the way. And they could ask him questions. And it was messy. He had to straighten them out at different times. He had to rebuke them. But he made disciples who made disciples. What mindset needs to go? Listen, some of you have so much life and vision surrounding your programming. That's the types of things that I'm saying may need to die today, even though they have life in them, so you can get back to doing it the way God has called you and asked you, and not just asked you and called you, but commanded you. Remember, it was the great commission. It wasn't the great suggestion. He said, go and make. Not, hey, if you get a chance, you know, in amongst your programming and your gathering and your crowds and everything else, like if you get some time, it'd be really great if you could make some disciples too on the side. <laughs> it's not what Jesus said. What needs to go? What's in your mindset? Maybe it's your ambition. Maybe it's your drive. I'm going to invite the worship team to join me if you could. I'm going to wrap this up this morning. Maybe it's your ambition. You've got this ambition to do, you want to do great and mighty things for God, which seems noble, it seems pure, motives. I'm going to do great things for God. And I remember being there a number of years ago, just wanting to, to do great and mighty things for God. We have this drive, and, but if we're to be honest, and we look at our lives, there's a lot of us in there. And God has taken me through this process over the past number of years, many years now, probably over the past 10 years or so, where he's just been gradually, one by one, killing things in my life. Sometimes it's things I didn't even know were there that were holding me back. Other times it's things that I knew were there and maybe didn't want to, but God has been just killing them. He's been just wiping them out. And I can be perfectly honest with you, your leaders in the room, you can I'm telling you, some of those things have been extremely painful. Some of those have meant really, really dark seasons that have accompanied those moments of death. Those moments of killing. The most painful things I've ever been through. But I'm telling you, God is a redeeming God. He's a God of grace. He's a God of resurrection power. And I'm here to tell you this morning that 
if it wasn't for those things, I don't know, I'd be in the state I'm in today, and I'm on a journey. I, I haven't arrived anywhere, but I can honestly say over the past 10 years, I become lighter and lighter and lighter, more free, even though through pain, but more free, more free, more free to do what? To do anything. My greatest ambition now, all these years later, is no longer to do great and mighty things for God. Some of you are like, what? Say what? Mm-mm. Now you know my ambition. I maybe said it before in places like this, but my ambition now is just to do things for my great and mighty God. You see the difference? Wanting to do great and mighty things for God, the great and mighty often becomes about us. It becomes about making a name for ourselves. It becomes about making ourselves famous. And that's what I realized looking back over the past number of years is there was way too much of me in that endeavor, that desire of my heart, not saying it was all impure, but there was way too much of me in it. And now I'm at the place I can honestly say I don't care what it is. I don't care where it is. I just want to do things. If it's up here on a platform, great. If it's in the background somewhere doing something where nobody knows and nobody sees, great. I just want to do things for my great and mighty God. That's it. But to get there, some things had to go. Some things had to die in my life I was holding on to. And so what needs to die for you this morning, leader? What needs to go? Maybe it's in your hand. Maybe your heart, your head. Imagine with me for a moment. Imagine if we got back to discipling, developing, and deploying the people we're serving. Where they would see themselves as being sent out as missionaries, sent to go and make disciples. Imagine if our ministries became not just landing zones, but launching pads where we launch people out of who are not consumed with the institution of the church, but as seeing themselves as sent out into the world to make a difference, to make disciples. What would that look like for you in your situation, in your life? What needs to go so you can get there? So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to respond to this. We're going to give you a response moment, opportunity. Here in this place, we've set aside a, a few minutes to do this. So we don't need to rush it. In your bag today, your initiate bag you got when you walked in, you got this little takeaway. It's a little chalkboard thing. It's got a piece of chalk wrapped in the center of it, and it's kept together with a paper clip. Let me tell you what it is. It's a little takeaway, a reminder. The paper clip is simply this. It reminds you when I think of reset, the first thing that comes to my mind is a paper clip, because that's what we often search for around our homes, our offices, whatever. When we need to reset the modem, we need to reset an electronic device, we look for a paper clip, something really small and tiny to get into that really small contained space that's not easily accessible. Ooh, that'll preach right there. 
We're in a season that's not easily accessible. You can't create a reset on your own. This is a God-ordained reset opportunity for you. It's small, it's tiny, and if you don't take it, you're going to miss it. Whew. Okay. I just preached myself there. And then we've got this little placard thing, this little chalkboard thing and a piece of chalk in there. Here's what I want you to do. In a moment, the worship team's going to sing that song again, Make Room. And I'm going to invite you to come and find a space and try as much as possible to stay socially distant. But find a spot. You might want to kneel. You might want to flat out on your face. You might want to stand. You might want to sit. And I want you to ask Holy Spirit. Some of you already know the answer to this. God's been speaking to you while I've been speaking. He's been prompting and nudging. I want you to write on one side with the chalk, what needs to die today so you can step into what's next? What needs to be shaken? What needs to be broken today so you can step into what's next? And then on the other side, in a a minute, after you've figured out what that is, I want you to give it over to God. And then I want you to write on the other side, what's at stake? Like for Israel, it was the promised land. If they don't let Moses die, they're not stepping into the promised land. They'll stay there at the edge and miss out on God's preferred future for their lives, on God's purposes, on his plans. And so for you, what's at stake? Maybe it's a promise from God. Maybe it's your future. I want you to write on the other side, if you don't kill this thing, if you don't allow God to kill this thing, this is what's at stake this morning. The stakes are high. Well, there it is. As a, as a quick recap, Really, what we need to all ask ourselves as leaders today is what needs to die in our lives that's holding us back from stepping into what's new, what, what's in our hands currently, maybe in our hearts or even our heads that's robbing us and, and holding us back from all that's before us. So give that some thought. And I just want to encourage you once again, if this message has spoken to you, don't hoard it, but share it. Share this resource. Maybe choose a friend, invite them, personally invite them, or leave a review on here what you think of this podcast. Maybe another episode has really spoken to you, and and I really encourage you to subscribe so you never miss another episode. So until next time, I really do hope that that you remember that your leadership really does matter. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Matters Podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, why don't you take a moment and subscribe on iTunes to ensure you never miss another episode. Until next time, remember your leadership matters.